Grace and mercy and peace belong to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God before us this morning is a portion of our gospel lesson from the Gospel of John, chapter 3. The Trinity. The Trinity. One God, yet three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And yet there are not three gods, but one God. Let's take just a moment to review why we believe what we believe regarding God as he has revealed himself to us on the basis of his word. In the Old Testament, in, in, for instance, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One God. Not three, not five, not fifteen. One God, and that truth weaves its way throughout all of Scripture. At the same time, in the New Testament, in the last chapter of Matthew, for instance, when the risen Christ is a, just before he ascends into heaven, speaks to his disciples, and he says, Go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons. Mentioned not only here, but, but many places in Scripture. And so, who is the Father? Well, we know from Scripture very well, the Father is God. Even think of, of John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. The Father is God about the Son. Again, many, many passages from Scripture. Let's just take John chapter 1, verse 1, where John says, in the beginning was the Word, referring to the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Later in that chapter, the Apostle John says, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so Jesus, the Son of God, is God. About the Holy Spirit. Early in the book of Acts, the Apostle Peter speaks of the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit moves Peter to equate the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, with God. And so the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And yet not three gods, one God. So what? So what? what? Why, why is it so vital to believe this? Is it, is it simply one of those cold, abstract doctrines that, that we have to check off a, a, a box in order to demonstrate our, our, our Christianity? Oh, it's much, much more than that. This will bring us to John chapter 3 as a stupendous example, not only of the vital importance of the doctrine of the Trinity, 
but its beauty, its beauty. Before we get into John chapter 3, however, a flashback. We go back to the days of the Old Testament, to the time of Moses and the Israelites. God has just rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He has promised to give them the promised land of Canaan. And between Egypt and this promised land of Canaan, the Israelites are traveling through a barren wilderness. The Israelites, however, are beginning to complain. They're beginning to complain about the, the, the food that they are miraculously receiving every single day from a gracious God in the middle of this barren wilderness. But their discontent is now bordering on hardened rebellion. God needs to bring them to repentance. He allows some poisonous snakes to enter their camp. The snakes begin to bite some of the Israelites, and some deaths begin to occur. Quickly, the Israelites come to repentance. They, they, they realize the wrongness of their rebellious attitude towards their, their Savior God. And in grace, in God's undeserved love, the Lord directs Moses to do an unusual thing. He directs Moses to, to fashion, to manufacture a, a bronze snake, a snake made out of bronze, and, and to hang it up on a pole so that everybody can see it. And then if any Israelite is, is bitten by a poisonous snake, when they look in faith upon this bronze snake hanging from a pole, they will be spared from death. So that's what Moses does. He fashions a serpent, a snake out of bronze, hangs it up high on a pole for all to see, and then any Israelites who have been bitten by a poisonous snake, they look in faith upon that serpent hanging on a pole, and they are spared from death. Now let's move our timeline time forward to the days of Jesus, when God the Son is walking the earth. God the Son, Jesus Christ, has begun his public ministry. He has begun to proclaim the message of the gospel. He has begun to perform miraculous signs. He's causing something of a stir. He's also causing a, something of a stir amongst the, the religious leaders there, including a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He is a member of the ruling, religious ruling council based in Jerusalem. Nicodemus is not quite sure what to think about this, this Jesus of Nazareth. He's intrigued by, by him and by what he is doing and by what he is saying. And so he meets with Jesus at night. Why? We're not exactly certain. Perhaps he did not want other religious leaders giving him heat for, for talking to Jesus. Whatever the reason may be, he met with Jesus at night. 
And it did not take long at all for Jesus not only to engage Nicodemus, but also to begin to overwhelm Nicodemus with the profound truths that Jesus is sharing with him. He begins to talk about the need for every single soul to be, as he describes it, born again. Born again by the power of the Holy Spirit in order to trust the Savior God for salvation. And the more Nicodemus thinks about this, the, the more overwhelmed he gets. He, he, he is having difficulty processing all that Jesus is sharing with him. And so as Jesus continues to speak to him, Jesus' words to Nicodemus begin to climax with these words, where Jesus says this. He says, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is referring to himself. And then Jesus says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And so what Jesus has just done with Nicodemus, he's just connected those two dots, that, that far-off event from so many years earlier when, when God had directed Moses to do this, this strange thing of fashioning this, this bronze serpent, hanging it up on a pole so that people who are bitten with poison will look upon it in faith and be saved. That was a picture of what Jesus will do. It was a type, a picture of the coming Christ of what Jesus would do when Jesus is hanging on a cross, suffering and dying for all the sins of all people of all time, that all who look upon him in faith are spared from eternal death and given eternal life. And with that, Jesus goes on to say these extraordinary words, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, here's the work of God the Holy Spirit, creating faith, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Did you catch all that, that Jesus is describing here? In his talk with Nicodemus, he speaks of God the Father, sending God the Son to die for the sins of all people. He speaks of the work of God the Holy Spirit, using the gospel to create the miracle of faith that people are born again spiritually so that through faith in Jesus, they are fully forgiven Eternal life is theirs, and they are brought back into the family of God. All of which brings us back to that question. The Trinity, not just some cold, abstract doctrine to commit to memory, 
it's much more than that. Someone once used an illustration something like this to, to, to get across the great beauty of the Trinity. And children, this is where we come back to those pictures that I had held earlier about the, those pictures of, of just being happy at a wedding, maybe just dancing for joy. Let's just take that as an example of, of one of the moments in life where, when we may experience just unbridled joy. Imagine adults, children at, at a wedding reception and they hear music and they just join hands and they laugh and they sing and they dance because they are not only celebrating the marriage of, of two people they love dearly, but they are celebrating their, their love with each other. They are celebrating the sense of belonging. They are just savoring the sweetness of that moment. From eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, savor and enjoy their relationship with each other. Remember what, what God the Father says about his Son at the moment of Jesus' baptism? This is my Son whom I love. God the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Holy Spirit celebrates Father and Son and their relationship together. And then God creates us. He creates us so that he may give that same sense of joy and love and belonging to us. But you know what we did? You know what we did. We chose to trust Satan's lie. His lie that somehow you and I would be better off, we would be more fulfilled, we would be happier, we would have more joy if we stepped away from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and go it alone. And we know the consequences have simply been tragic on tragic on tragic. And so what did God do? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, instead of turning their backs on us, they did what they had to do to bring us back. They did what they had to do to bring us home. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son that whoever believes in him by the work of God the Holy Spirit, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so what drives the Trinity, what drives our triune God, is love. Love for each other. Love for you and me. Happy Trinity Sunday. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding 
Keep your hearts and minds in Jesus. Amen.